This is Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Time to bring in our guest today. It's Justin Felder. You might know him from Fox 5 Atlanta Sports Reporter. Also, UF grad. And Justin, I think I have this right. Palm Beach Gardens, born and raised. Palm Beach Gardens, born and raised. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, grew up in uh, Palm Beach Gardens. My parents still live in West Palm Beach. Get down there uh, as often as we can. Yeah, don't blame me. Nothing wrong with uh, escaping to Florida in the winter. Not that Atlanta is really too bad, but we're right at the corner of North Lake and Military, so probably, you know, a stone's throw away from where you went to high school. Exactly. I went to uh, Dreyfus down over by what was City Place. I'm not, I hope I'm not offending any sponsors. I, I lost <laughs> track of the name, uh, but the high school is still named the same. So I went there in uh, Palm Beach Gardens Elementary. So, yeah, it's a, a great place to call home. Ira, what do you have for Justin? Well, Justin, you, since 2015, you've been the sports anchor and executive producer at Fox 5. Let's talk about Atlanta for a second. The Atlanta Braves are the best team in baseball. The Georgia Bulldogs are the two-time defending champion and ranked number one in football. The Atlanta Falcons now are 2-0. You have brand-new football stadiums that host the Super Bowl and SEC championship game. The Hawks are actually pretty good. Uh, how about uh, Eubanks and Shelton are two of the best young tennis players that are from Atlanta. And uh, every Georgia Bulldog golf player golf uh, player is, on the, is winning a tournament on the PGA Tour. And you have a golf tournament outside Atlanta, I think, called the Masters. So there's a lot to talk about in terms of Atlanta sports. Yeah, besides that, though, it's pretty quiet this time of year. No, it's, it's great. It's a, a, a great place to be. And I mean, Atlanta was starved of championships for a very long time. It was it, it was a running joke. Well, it wasn't a joke for the people that lived here. But now having gotten the Braves, having gotten, uh, you know, two Georgia college football national championships and the the soccer team here winning a title the mls team is incredibly popular which i know is a a big topic i'm sure in south florida with inter miami so them winning a championship several years ago now but that team is still popular it's a a a great time a lot going on so justin wondering what's going on with the braves now and probably not a huge concern but ronald acuna jr didn't play this weekend to be honest there's really no reason to rush him back with the playoffs coming up anyway do you know what acuna's status is maybe for this week yeah, it was a calf injury. Uh, all we heard really from from the team is that they were just going to be careful, exactly like you said, that there was no reason to play through something minor uh, with already the division clinched. And a, a lead, maybe not as comfortable as Braves fans would like, but a lead nonetheless for the best record in the National League, as well as uh, for the best record in baseball right now. So the expectation is that he's not going to need to go on the injured list, that he should be back soon. Uh, the team is going to be back home for a few games this week, then back on the road before uh, wrapping up the season with a little bit of a longer home stand. So should see him back soon. But if it, if it lingered longer, I think you'll have some Braves fans starting to get nervous about their MVP. If, well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is it, is it a foregone conclusion that we're at that Acuna is the MVP? I mean, for most of the season, it looked like he was going to run away with it. Now we've had Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman play pretty well down the stretch. Betts actually had a historic August, one of the, the greatest of all time. You think Acuna's got this locked up or is he going to get some uh, some some uh, fight back from the Dodgers. That, that's the argument right now. I think every Braves fan is probably unanimous on on it being Acuna. I mean, it depends how deep you want to go into the stats, right? And WAR and F WAR and all these kind of crazy things. But look, he's he's coming up on a, a 40-40 season. Possibly, he could have a 40-70 season with stolen bases. I mean, you could talk about the rules being different, but nobody's been been close to these numbers, and nobody's really all that close this year. So I think his value has been incredible. And this is also a guy I think you have to give a lot of credit for in the age of, you know, home run or bust. He's cut his strikeouts down tremendously. So he's not just hitting home runs and stealing bases, but he is getting on base. He's coming through with timely hits. So he's been a, a, a huge factor for this team. I, I I think he should be the MVP, but I know you know you can find numbers to support a number of guys. And in a, in, in a different year, absent Ronald Acuna and Mookie Betts, 
You could certainly be talking about Freddie Freeman. You could make a case that Matt Olson, who replaced Freddie Freeman, could be the MVP. So uh, a, a lot of good candidates in the National League, especially between those two teams. Yeah, there's about six guys on the Braves that I think could be in the running. Um, you brought up Freddie Freeman, so did I. What was the the feeling in Atlanta once you know Freddie Freeman, kind of like the, the face of the team, left, replaced by Matt Olson, who really picked up right where he left off, if not better? Yeah, gosh, it was a, it was an emotional time for sure. I mean, uh, on a lot of sides. I mean, you remember when Freddie Freeman, you know, came back for the first time to Atlanta and could could hardly get through a press conference talking about it. You know, it was it was a really emotional time. You're talking about a guy who was on track to have his number retired. It could still happen with with all he did um, for Atlanta. But the thing that made it a lot easier was, you know, number one, the way Freddie handled it. Certainly, every everybody's been above board. The team's been gracious to him. He gets ovations still when he comes back. And number two, the guy that they traded for, Matt Olson, a, a local guy, went to Parkview High School in suburban Atlanta, has been outstanding. You know, last year he was very good, and this year he's been, you know, just as good as Freddie Freeman. He's younger, he's more affordable. So I think it's it's hard to make a case that it was a bad move for either side, right? So I think, you know, it, it had Freddie Freeman been playing like an MVP and, and Matt Olson not doing much, it could have been looked at as one of the, you know, a, a terrible decision in the franchise's history. Instead, I think it's it's fair to say it was a, a good move for both sides, even if maybe in his heart of hearts, Freddie Freeman might have wanted a do-over. Well, if there's one thing the Braves have done great over the last 10 years, it's make the right decision. I mean, locking up some of these guys really early for very team-friendly contracts, they, they really hit it out of the park with not only um, you know scouting and developing, but making sure these guys are going to be in the building for a decade or so. Right. You have Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, guys like that, Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, guys, they've really kind of rethought it right now you're seeing it from a lot of other teams where you get these young guys who are under team control for several more years sign them to lucrative contracts and lock them up on what will end up being if they continue on their current pace um incredibly below market deals right um so they they really kind of rethought that and with the braves you know they've picked up their payroll in recent years and they've they've promised to to continue to do that maybe they're they're not going to be the dodgers or the mets but they've move from the middle of the pack towards the top, but knowing that they're not going to go out and outspend the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Mets and the Cubs and the Red Sox, how can they do things slightly differently? Uh, that's one way that's been been really beneficial so far, getting so much of that core locked up long term. Yeah, as a Yankee fan myself, it's kind of like the reverse <laughs> Yankee theory. Instead of signing 33-year-olds <laughs> to 10-year deals, get them when they're in their early 20s. Uh, before I turn you over to Ira, who's the team besides the Dodgers in the National League that you're fearing? I mean, nobody would have thought that Philly was, was going to go on a run last year and make the World Series. Is there a team in the National League besides the Braves that you're looking around like, we might not want to play these guys in the playoffs? You know, I, I think anybody there's there's a lot of teams you can make a case for, but frankly, I think it's the team you just mentioned. It's the Phillies, right? If you're going to see in, in a, a series where you could potentially see Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler for four of the games, uh, that lineup that we've seen just last year can get incredibly hot. I mean, the the Braves just went and took a series in Philadelphia, but every game felt like a playoff game. It was right down to the wire. It was you know blown saves in ninth innings. It, it was. A terrific series that I think you heard from many of the players and um, as well as uh, Brian Snicker that it felt like a playoff series. And the fact that they were able to to clinch there, to celebrate with the shampoo, uh, champagne, shampoo, excuse me, uh, to ruin their visitors' clubhouse, um, I'm sure that probably left a pretty bad taste in, in the, the Phillies' mouths. So I think that's one team that maybe it feels destined that they're they're not done uh, playing this season. They are going to play again in the regular season, but 
it, it kind of seems like those two might be on a collision course with based on recent history. I remember what for Justin. Justin, wow, 2017 Super Bowl. Matt Ryan was the MVP. They're up 28-3 in the third quarter on the Patriots, ready to become Super Bowl champions for the first time, and then it all changed. And it's since then, it's been like the Falcons were on this, it wasn't steep descent in terms of, but it was like irrelevancy in the last few years of it, 7 and 7-9, 7-9, 4-12, 7-10, 7-10. But there is now hope in Atlanta, and what a win yesterday uh, against the Green Bay Packers. And you were also, I think, for five years, you worked in Green Bay as a sports anchor there in Green Bay too. So sort of it was brings back memories for you. Yeah, it was nice to see some familiar faces there. You're right. I covered the Packers for uh, for five seasons living up in Green Bay. So, But, yeah, it was a, a really impressive win yesterday for the Falcons. And, yeah, like you said, this is year three for the, the head coach and GM pairing uh, that came in here. And the expectations were that this would be the year that they really took a turn, that they really got things moving in the right direction. And so far, the results are really encouraging. I mean, the, the story of this team really since that Super Bowl and the, the next year they were pretty good too. But after that, uh, they, they took that decline. And the story has been late collapses and the dramatic ways they've managed to lose in the fourth quarter. Whereas now two weeks in a row, the first two games this year, like I don't know if fans know what to do with themselves. They haven't allowed a point in the fourth quarter. They've outscored teams tremendously. The, the offense has come through, and all of a sudden this team that couldn't close out games has done it twice in a row. It's very early. Their next two games uh, at Detroit and then against the Jaguars in London are two teams that you know people think are maybe a step up in competition, two teams that are expecting to be in the playoffs this year. So those will be two really good tests. But starting out 2-0, and it's the first time they won a season opener at all since 2017. Uh, so to even start out this way uh, has been a, a real step in the right direction. Fans, you could really feel the energy in the building yesterday. Yeah, I mean, they were down 24-12 to Green Bay at the end of the third quarter, and then they outscored them, and it was like the way, you know, converting on fourth downs. But the, as you said, the defense, I think Green Bay in the fourth quarter ran 10 plays the entire quarter and gained seven yards. So it was just the Desmond Ritter, the young quarterback, uh, making great plays. Bijan Robinson, super playing, and uh, it's just all over in terms of being able to come down. And then the smart, you know, taking what I liked it at the end of the game is they went and actually, um, it was like two minutes to go, and they were going to kick a field goal. They said, let's go on fourth down, get the first down and then just leave Green Bay with a few seconds to go at the end of the game. Yeah, it was a very aggressive decision. You're absolutely right. And that was, you know, it was a fourth and one. They get Bijan Robinson. He's able to pick it up. But I also think you do have to give a lot of credit to, to Desmond Ritter, the quarterback. I mean, look, he had some, some shaky moments yesterday as well as in week one. I think he'd be the first to admit that. But look at the fourth quarter yesterday. He ran for a touchdown. He had over 100 yards passing in the fourth quarter. So, again, he really he really rose uh, to the moment there and helped them shut the door on that one. So, yeah, and I, I think, you know, the, the players, I'm sure, appreciated head coach Arthur Smith going for it there on fourth down. They're able to pick it up, kind of showing faith in his guys. Hey, I trust that you can get the foot that they needed. And then they're able to leave Green Bay with without timeouts, with not a lot of time on the clock. And ultimately, the defense was able to uh, force a turnover on down. I like a quote that you from Desmond Ritter that you actually put on your Twitter page. You said the Falcons now have a positionless offense with first rounders all over the place. And it feels like a little league team. And we're just out here having a lot of fun. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they're moving people all over the place. Bijan Robinson lines up in the slot out wide. He moves around. Kyle Pitts, the tight end, could be inside, slot, outside. All over, you're seeing even you know more traditional tight ends like Johnu Smith in the backfield. So I'm I'm really excited to see Arthur Smith's very creative uh, offensive mind. I'm excited to see how that 
evolves throughout the year and keeps defenses guessing as week to week they break out new wrinkles and things based on what they might have seen before on film. So I think if they can if they can get humming and really get Desmond Murder in a good place where he's executing that offense, it'll be really cool to see what directions they take it. And then we're going to turn to the two-time defending champions, number one ranked team, Georgia Bulldogs. Boy, it's a little tough game there against South Carolina on Saturday. They're down 14-3 at halftime, and then Kirby Smart goes, I'm excited. I was, I wanted to see what our team would do. I actually felt good that we were down, and certainly they proved what Georgia does in the second half in so many games is just destroy these teams. I mean, Spencer Rattler looked great in the first half and then was at 6 for 24 for 100 yards and two interceptions in the second half, and the Bulldogs come back and win 24-14. Yeah, I, I think Georgia fans, you know, it's a, a not spoiled bunch, but look, they've watched two teams just dominate and route to national titles. So I don't know that, that, that fans are seeing the kind of, you know, sheer dominance maybe they're used to, but also they're, they're 3-0 and now. Uh, there are a lot of teams, Alabama comes to mind, Florida State, you know, looked a little shaky this last week. That, uh, that, you know, it's, it's not like there's a team out there besides maybe Colorado that's been so exciting that has just been setting the world on fire. And Colorado had problems with Colorado State. So I, I think, you know, Georgia fans are, are happy that they didn't come away with an upset loss, but still some questions. But, yeah, you look at the second half and that. I think it's the team they're much more used to and expecting. And then you've got to be happy with Carson Beck. Now, you lose Stetson Bennett at the third at, at quarterback, but Beck, it was 27 for 35, no touchdowns, but no interceptions also, about almost 300 yards. He played well. And then you got Dewan Edwards uh, running back. I mean, there's so many. If you look at the NFL, the whole league is littered with Georgia running backs, and now it looks like we have another superstar running back that will be playing in the NFL. Yeah, that's it's just year after year from you know Nick, Nick Chubb on down, and really before that with Todd Gurley, it's been running back you there. They had some uh, some injuries at the running back position uh, in the preseason, really just leading right up to the season. So that was one of the big question marks. So if one or several of those backs can really step forward uh, and establish themselves as the guy or one of the guys, the go-to guys in that offense, I think that's going to go a long way because that that's a, a position that strangely enough almost felt thin going into the season because of some injuries, but I think now they're starting to, to find a groove. And your schedule, the, the Bulldogs' schedule is so easy. I mean, they're they're favored yeah. by 54 points against UAV uh, this week, and then they're at Auburn and Kentucky and then at Vanderbilt, and they play Florida at home. But I mean, it's just, it just seems to be one of those. They play their game against Tennessee. Now it's maybe not as big. It's just it's a weird schedule in terms of the fact that they, and they started with UT Martin Ball State. Um, but, of course, they're going to play for the SEC championship game and then the playoffs and all those things. Yeah, they have time to figure things out, that's for sure. You know, they have a game against UAB this week where if you have your arguably number one wide receiver, even though he's a slot guy, and Lad McConkey hasn't played this year yet, I think you feel real good about not pushing him this week and letting him try to give a couple more weeks to get healthy uh, going into Auburn. But, um, but yeah, they have some time to get ready. But as you've seen, you know, these, these tough games, South Carolina doesn't look like a tough game, and then all of a sudden they're, they're right in it. Uh, at halftime, kind of going down the stretch there. So it's the SEC, even though it's a weird year for the SEC, anything can happen. Um, but yeah, this the, this team does seem to have some runway, at least, to, to ramp up to the level of play they expect. And then I want to turn to soccer a little bit. You mentioned it earlier. I think the U.S. soccer brought their national training center now to Atlanta with the World Cup coming up. That's going to be exciting. And then you have the whole MLS in terms of the fan. The fan base in Atlanta is tremendous, uh, turning out tens of thousands of fans every game. So it's really, you see what we're, excitement we have here with Messi in Florida. But it's pretty cool, the fact that soccer, and especially Atlanta, is becoming more of like the hub for, for the whole country for U.S. soccer. 
Yeah, it really is. I mean, Atlanta United is the MLS team here. They routinely, you know, fill their building. They'll even, they, most of the time, many of the games, they'll block off the upper level seating, but that'll still leave you with 40,000 or so seats. Uh, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is where they also play the, the Falcons games and Super Bowls and everything else. But every once in a while, for big games, like for Inter-Miami this past weekend, they open the upper level. They can get 70,000 people in there. And, yeah, bringing the, the National Training Center will be here. The World Cup, the Men's World Cup, will have matches here. And the hope is, and it hasn't been announced yet, but the hope is that Atlanta could even end up hosting you know, a knockout round game, a quarterfinal, a semifinal, something like that in the World Cup, which would be, you know, I think for the city, even bigger than sports, just an unbelievable showcase. And then we got to just turn over a sec for the Hawks. I mean, again, you have Trey Young, a lot of question marks with this team. I mean, it looked like you were on the rise. We love the heat down here in Miami, but Atlanta's one of those teams that, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen, and and, uh, we'll see what happens. When you have Trey Young, anything can happen. Right, yeah. I mean, he's a guy, you know, they had DeJounte Murray last year. So that's going to be exciting to see that pairing kind of continue to grow together. Look, they can score. They're just trying to build. I think the big question in Atlanta is how much can you build around Trey Young and DeJounte Murray in that core? Can that be a, a championship core? The Hawks certainly seem to believe the answer is yes. And, and they've you know played that way at times last year, maybe not as consistently as they wanted. And ultimately, that's how the season ended. But they really seem to think, that's a core they can build around and be a championship caliber team. So it'll be it'll be exciting to see what direction they go after. But I think they'd say it was a, a disappointing season last year. And I was able to watch on your uh, page and everything. And you can give us how we should follow you on Instagram and, and social media. But you had this great story about for golf. And of course, we're in the center of golf, the world here in West Palm Beach. But you had a story about Scott Stallings, who got an in. Uh, there were two Scott Stallings, one who is a professional golfer and the other who has got an invitation to the Masters by accident. And I thought it was a really great story if you want to you know, share that for a second. Yeah, last year at the Masters, there that Scott Stallings, the PGA Tour golfer, earned his way into the, the ultra-prestigious competition. And he actually used to live on Sea Island, Georgia, where a lot of people, a lot of golfers do. And there was another Scott Stallings who was a realtor, uh, just a regular dude who also lived on Sea Island. And, and their wives actually had the same first name, strangely enough. So the <laughs> invitation to the Masters, you know, from Augusta National was sent to the wrong Scott Stallings. It wasn't the wrong address on the card, uh, it was actually sent to an old address for the PGA Tour golfer. So Augusta National didn't just had an old address that hadn't been updated by whomever, maybe not by the golfer. And it was the, the UPS driver looked at it and said, oh, I know that guy. He lives over here. So he brought it to the, to the Scott Stallings that he knew because he had no idea. So um, long story short, they were able to connect through social media. The invitation got in the hands of the correct person, the actual golfer, but Scott Stallings, the golfer, invited Scott Stallings, the realtor, to Augusta. I uh, got him practice round tickets for he and his wife, hosted him uh, at a charity dinner, you know, and he, and he actually, the golfer, framed the invitation, signed it, put it in a nice frame, and gave it to Scott Stallings, the realtor, and said, you know, this has served its purpose. I got to play in the tournament. Now it's yours. So I thought it was a, a really nice story. Oh, that's a great one. And also the invitation. It's not like we get an invitation to Masters. It's like a little note. I mean, it is a very, you know, very beautiful invitation to, to be. Oh, absolutely. Tremendous. There. As you'd expect. <laughs> that's great. So, Justin, well, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. So how should people follow you if we're down here in West Palm Beach and we can't get Fox 5 in Atlanta? What's the best way to follow you on social media? Yeah, just search me on Facebook, Justin Felder, Fox 5. Same thing on, on Twitter, X, whatever you're calling it, on Instagram as well. And, uh, and yeah, looking forward to, uh, to 
to hearing from folks in South Florida and can't wait to be back visiting my family soon. It's a, a great place. You're all fortunate to call home, and I, I appreciate you reaching out. Thanks a lot, Justin. Really appreciate it.